Welcome to Savage. I'm your host, Kelsey Kenry, CEO, wife, and mom of three. This is where you find the aligned strategy and mindset shifts to unleash your power, unlock your freedom, and step into your full potential as a CEO. Every episode is full of tough love and hard truths with a side of tactical guidance to expand your success. You ready? Let's do the damn thing. Welcome to the Bravehearted Podcast, where we are changing the way you get inspiration by allowing you to hear resilience and victory in hard stories. We discuss new methods on handling life situations so you can show up confidently in your life. We are different because instead of just giving you inspiration through stories, we give you actionable tools to make the change that you want to make. Let's live bravely today. Welcome to episode five of the Bravehearted Podcast. My name is Mindy, career coach and business guru. What's up, guys? I'm Kelsey, and thank you for joining us today. I am a life coach and personal development speaker working with women all over the world to find their passions and break through fears. So before we start, I just want to say that some of the material we talk about is deep and can be controversial. So please use headphones when listening, especially around children. So today on the podcast, I'm very excited because I have my friend Marina here. And for those of you that don't know who she is, I'm going to let her tell you, but she is in NXT wrestling and she is a mom of a sweet little boy (laughs) named Troy. And Marina, so can you just tell us a little bit about who you are now? Yes, I am an NXT superstar, as they like to say it. I've been wrestling for a little over a year, but before that, I was pregnant. And then before that, I was uh, an MMA fighter for about five to six years. And then before that, just a jujitsu practitioner, a judo retiree, lost in looking for her identity. And now we're here. (laughs) So all, all sorts of different mats, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's really interesting to me because I love hearing about the transitions between things. So before we get into like where you came from and all of that kind of stuff, can you tell us a little bit about that evolution of your career? Because it seems like to somebody from the outside that might be kind of organic, but I'm sure when you were doing jujitsu, you didn't exactly have plans to be like on TV and no. NXT. Absolutely not. I'm trying to like think of when it kind of just kind of started rolling downhill. I think when things kind of started getting into motion was when I decided to move from New York to California. And that whole trip was pretty monumental. Like we took my 2007 Honda Civic that I still have. And we took her across the country, like the northern part of the U.S. It was like three days, three and a half days of just going. Like my car didn't stop for more than like an hour for gas and coffee and some snacks. Wow. And, you know, that whole road trip, 
my friend was just kind of like, get used to it. This is how the rest of this is going to go. She wasn't wrong. Most of it was always like, go, 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 go. And she's not really wrong now either, even though like we've moved on from that part of our lives. Like everything is always go, go, go now. So I feel like that was kind of where it like really started. So tell me, tell me like when you start with where you were, how did you begin martial arts in general? So we, my family immigrated to upstate New York when I was five from Moldova. My mom, we just all packed up and moved and super poor, but I was the youngest. Then I have two cousins who are like around my age and my parents wanted to get us involved in something together. And judo was like 15, 20 bucks a month for like a couple of times a week. And that was like so the, cheap. Like, why? <laughs> what happened? Can you believe <laughs> athletics? Can you believe athletics are so? It's like such a market now, dude. We were paying one hundred and fifty dollars for Cameron to go to Taekwondo. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like fifteen or twenty dollars. I mean, it wasn't like the greatest school, but and it wasn't like the best teachers, but it was a place to start. And um, you know, just like looking back at that part of my life, I was just telling Troy about like an embarrassing moment that happened to me while I was training. It was like a moment that I like really got humbled as a kid. I just got beat, got my ass kicked like really bad. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed and like I had the wind knocked out of me. I was so embarrassed and it was like, I wouldn't get off the mat. I'd stayed curled up in a ball in the middle of the mat until class was over until my dad had to come onto the mat and grab me. And that was when I realized I was like a really bad loser. And then, like, that's been a moment that, like, the rest of my martial arts career kind of, it didn't, like, revolve around it. But, like, when I lost my two fights in a row, I just didn't want to, like, accept that I lost. And, you know, that moment kind of, it happened again, but in a different way. And, yeah, but that was, like, my first, like, martial arts experience was judo at, like, six. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it's a long time. And I love that... I love that the the kids' programs are available like that because I think, you know, all of them seem to be different in how they're structured, but it seems like that structure is so good for yeah. kids, regardless of like which which one you go with. Do you feel like that story of that failure for you, since it's in like so fresh in your head still, mm-hmm. that that is something that continues to drive you forward? Oh, absolutely. Because you just want to be better than kind of talking yourself down off the ledge over like you just lost a something in the day. Like it's not like a live or die situation. And, you know, make keeping it as simple as like if you make this, the right transitions and you make the right adjustments, you can do things to prevent it from happening again. And that's like such a simple lesson that took me so long to learn because of stubborn emotional habits that I've learned from my family that like instilled in me and like intimacy with yourself and like just being honest with yourself and also being open-minded. It's just, it's crazy. Like what understanding how you were as a kid helps you make sense as an adult and like how many times you will fall back onto like childish tendencies, even like don't, really want to do something like the way you react to something you don't want to do is you're kind of like a kid you're like oh I don't want to do it and yeah like, but like you got to do it because you're a grown-up and you got responsibilities and you know you put one foot in front of the other but 
learning that was hard. Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing how like the lesson will continue to show up over and over again until it's like, no, for real, like you need to learn this. Yes. So tell me, okay, so you started in judo when you were like five or six and then take me, give me your, your version of from there to where you are now. Okay. Started judo, that judo club closed down and then I wanted to keep doing judo. So we found another judo club. Shocker, there aren't that many judo clubs. It was, <laughs> it was like almost an hour away from our house, but it was a level above. It was super competitive. The judokas who trained there traveled all over for like training camps and tournaments. And I went there for my first training session and I got my ass kicked all over again. But my dad kept me going, kept me going. And up until like around 19, I made the decision to quit judo because I overheard like a conversation. Like my parents never had like serious conversations around us kids, Mm -hmm. like whether it be like about finances or like their relationship, everything was done in private and they never argued in front of us. My parents argued with like my brothers and me around everybody, but like with them, like they never argued. But I overheard a conversation with my parents about how it was getting really expensive to send me places. I just knew how hard they worked. My mom, like both my parents came to the United States, like they were engineers in Moldova. Like they were both like certified engineers. When they came here, my dad was a mechanic and my mom is still a seamstress, like just working for fucking pennies, you know, and like taking odd jobs. And my mom's working like 70 hour weeks. Like it's just not, it was crazy. So knowing all that, knowing how hard they worked, I just, I couldn't help with my bill. So I just took a step away because I felt like that was what was going to solve it. I just didn't want my parents to feel any stress, but I didn't know that when I quit that like, it was such a devastating moment for my dad. Mm. Yeah. And like, he just cut me, like the communication just like got skewed between the two of us. Like we didn't talk. It's like we had nothing in common anymore. He just, Mm. he would get drunk at dinners and just tell me how much he wanted me to find somebody to take care of me. (laughs) Oh my God. That's like, that was like the epitome of our conversations. But uh, that's something that like, I don't want to have with my family. Like my parents never like complimented me in front of everybody. It was like in private. And then like, Mm. I'd have people come up to me like from the side, they're like, your dad and your mom are so proud of you. And I'm like, really? Like they never tell me that. They never told me that. And it's like, it's not, it's just a different time. And I'm not trying to make excuses. Like I'm just, I understand like where they came from and like boasting and stuff. They would consider it boasting, but like telling that just wasn't like a part of a relationship then. Like, yeah. Yeah. Good job. But like, are you like every, everything came with like something negative. Like it couldn't be just like a, you did great. So like, I never learned that confidence, that like pride confidence in myself. And, uh, I just don't ever want to have that with Troy. Like I want him to know that I'm proud of him with, cause I know how hard it is for a lot of kids. Like, I just want him to know that I'm proud of him no matter what. But yeah, my dad and I just kind of kind of like, he was my dad, but like, we weren't close anymore. Like he didn't speak to me for like six months after I quit judo. Like he would, I would come home and he would just do the thing where he'd be like, I'm just going to 
living room now. Like it was like, I would come into the room, he would leave or he would come into the room and then I would leave. Cause it was just weird. Some awkward tension. Yeah. And like, he never actually told me how that, like, I feel like maybe he felt like he didn't have a right to feel about that, which yeah. I understand, but like, I would have loved to like talk to him about him and then like him telling me like, Hey, if you keep doing this, yeah, let's fucking try and make it work. Do you want like, cause I couldn't handle, I was like in community college and working and I was like, I can't do it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like some sort of communication yeah. would have been, I've talked about it before. And this is such like a recurring thing. Even when I'm talking to clients is like, it's the hardest thing to recognize that our parents aren't perfect. Yep. And like, to, because we always look up to them, like no matter what they do and like, you can look at them and like, see that they're making shit choices mm-hmm. and still be like, yeah, but they're my mom and dad. So they're amazing in there. And so when you get rejected from that person that is supposed to be your idol, it's the most like hurtful thing, yep. but to compound it with no, no sort of communication on like, like you just get shut out Mm. and you don't even know why there's no, and, and I've dealt with some of that. And so many, so many of us have, and the hardest thing for me was recognizing that parents and older generations, they never got the help that they need. No. Like they were never taught how to communicate. So they have to live their whole lives unless they choose not to, like never knowing how to have that communication. Yep. Like forever living with relationships that are tattered or broken because they are fearful of speaking up. Yeah. Like in that moment, your dad probably was like, okay, well, that's what she wants to do. And that breaks my heart, but I can't tell her that because it's going to make her sad. And then you're like, you're not saying anything to me. So did I do something wrong? Do you hate me? Like you have no idea what to think. Yeah. That's pretty much what happened. Yeah. And like in the, it would only ever come out in uh, like, I didn't realize my dad was an alcoholic until like early in my twenties because that was when he started like sneaking liquor like at night every day. And then in the morning, like I would get up like early cause I was, I got a job at Starbucks and I would have to be up like super early. And I just would catch my dad in the stairs of the basement with like a cup with like clear liquid in it. And I'm like, dad, what are you doing? And he goes, nothing, go to work. And then like, and then I didn't even like, I was so tired and put the two and two together until like later on that day. Cause I was always late to work. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, yeah, from that moment on, I just kind of, I thought I knew what I was doing, but you know, obviously you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Like you can't even have a conversation about guidance with your parents. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And like, who you, do you get it from? You can't get it from your girlfriends who are in the same exact, right. you know, spot as you. Like everybody's broke and everybody's just trying to round up some change so they can go out and have a good time. And like, that was another thing in high school. I had like no social life. Mm-hmm. I was a super tomboy. I couldn't really relate. Like, I think my junior and senior year of high school is when I started trying to like fit in and like, I would go to the dances and like all this stuff. But uh, I think one of the compliments that I got in high school that always kind of stuck with me was that like, everybody was always like, you're such a good dancer. Cause I would go to these things and it was just like, 
I'm just going to let it all go. I'm just going to like fucking, I didn't even care who the fuck I was dancing with. I just, I just wanted to have fun. And like, I didn't really understand like boys. I didn't understand even girls. Like I put on a dress and I'm like, oh, this is what wearing a dress. I didn't really didn't wear like nice stuff until I was like junior, senior in high school. Yeah. Cause I just didn't have, everything was judo. Everything was like training camps and tournaments and can I make it to practice on time? And like, that was up until it, well, like when I quit, I was like, Oh my God, like do all these things. But something that just kept reeling me back in is I still stayed training. Even if it was a little bit, I always like made my way back to the mat, like some, at some point. And uh, my jujitsu coach from upstate New York, Bruno Tostes, like he had opened up a gym super close and he had just immigrated from Brazil. So how did you make your, before you go there, you quit when you were like 19, you Mm -hmm. said you quit judo. You continued to kind of train like on your own, like in like an open gym kind of thing, or? I didn't really do, like I would go to judo maybe like once a week and then it turned into like once every two weeks. Yeah. I kind of dove into jujitsu a little bit more. Cause it was just different, similar, but different. And that made the transition a little bit easier. And so then when did you, when did you start? When did you start jujitsu? I think I started jujitsu when I was 21, 20, 21. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't really take that, but I, and I was still like in the gym. Like I thought it was cool to like be, to have like a planet fitness membership. Cause that was like the hotness. Mm-hmm. I remember when planet fitness came out, like we're opened up. And everybody's like, yeah, I got that Planet Fitness membership. And I'm like, well, I can afford that. Like, yeah. that's not that it's expensive. Like $5 a month or something. I know. And then like, <laughs> so you, get, you get what you pay for. I get <laughs> yes. And like, I would go on to like the one treadmill that worked like in the upstairs corner, like near the wall. And I would just like run forever. And I wouldn't like lift any weights. I would just run. And then like, I got addicted to that a little bit. And like my girl, like I didn't really have a social life in high school. So like, I started going out like 1920 and like experiencing li- like the, that lifestyle. And that was like, that was like, whoa, you know, like <laughs> so much stimulation mm-hmm. from something yeah. that's like kind of a short period of time. And then like everybody talks about what you did the night before, you know, like, oh, like, what'd you end up doing? Da, da, da. And I like, I thought there was something cool about that. And I wanted to like be a part of that, but it wasn't like it very, I liked it so much that I ended up getting a serving job and then I ended up learning how to bartend and like for like three years, I just kind of raged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From like 20 to like 23, I just kind of raged. And you were doing, doing jujitsu, like just kind of playing around with it, yeah. like not competing or anything. No. Yeah. No competing. And it wasn't very serious at all. Like I wasn't doing any of like the extra work. It was just kind of like to show face and just also for myself, like, just yeah. get on the mat and, and kind of get my ass kicked a little bit. So how did you overcome kind of like that rage period in your life, which we've all had? We know mine was like abnormally long. But, <laughs> um, how did you overcome that period and start getting more serious about training? I don't think I really ever overcame my rage period because I, I haven't been able to like really pinpoint it down. I feel like once I actually know like, what it's coming from is when I'll actually be able to like dive into it in my own way. Yeah. And I get scared sometimes because like now I have a family and responsibilities and stuff, man, like sometimes you just need to deal with stuff. I'm Mm -hmm. just lucky that I have a support system. If I tell them that I'm going through something. Yeah. 
they will understand and give me the time to like go through. But my family also knows that I'm like looking for it. Right. Cause like, it's just been covered up and hidden for so many years. And now like going to therapy, like just, yeah, (laughs) just first. Yeah. But no, like talking about it was so hard, you know? Yeah. But now it's like talking about it. Isn't that hard Mm -hmm. thinking about it is hard. Yeah. And then like, navigating through that stuff is even harder. And like, I think once I got really serious with jujitsu, I feel like my attention thing, I couldn't just do one thing. So like jujitsu turned into grappling, which turned into boxing, which turned into kickboxing. And then like kind of just all flowed. And I had one coach, this is actually what did I had one coach pull me aside. I like was sparring and I I was just having such a bad night. I like threw all my stuff off. I was a drama queen. Threw all my stuff <laughs> off. Thought, I did the thing that I did when I was fucking six. <laughs> threw all my stuff off and ran into the bathroom and locked myself in the bathroom. And I stayed in there for like 15 minutes. It sounds like like Eric and like me and powerlifting. It's like if I missed a lift, it was like I might as well like just give up. And like, yeah. it was like tears and like... I know. It's like yeah, the most... It's, it's literally like the end of the world, you know? And I just wasn't letting my hands go. I was just like a walking tree. And I just stay in there. And once I got out, I just walk out and my boxing coach was just laughing. Like he thought it was really funny. And then I was kind of like, what the fuck are you laughing at? And like, <laughs> but we were packing up and then I finally got over it. Like we all kind of had a good laugh about it. And, um, he just goes to me, he's like, look, you have all the potential to be amazing at this, but your training around here is limited. And if you stay around here, you're just not going to be good. You're only going to be as good as like the people around you. Wow. And I don't even know if he was really being serious to me for some reason, like that conversation just struck a chord with me. And I didn't really care if he was being serious with me because I was the only girl in the gym. It was the first time in your life somebody probably told you you were good. I mean, I've had that happen before, but like looked me in the eye and was like, there are no resources here for you to get better. And I was just like, yeah, you're right. Because if I know I have a hard time with consistency and then everyone around me has a hard time with consistency, like it's not very realistic to expect everybody to be like, all right, everybody buck up for Marina. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. No, but everybody get your shit together. Cause this one girl is trying to go after her dreams or not even dreams, but like a goal. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, okay. And at the time my really good friend was like hitting the, like the upstream in California and training. And like, we were friends since like 12 and 13. Yeah. It was 12 and she was 13. And like, she just kind of, I would have these conversations with her on the phone. Like we'd be texting and I'd call her and like for weeks, she was just like, Rena, you need to come out here. 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 And I'm just like worried about all the little things, you know? Cause like at this point I'm just like, well, I just want any little thing to go wrong to prevent me from going out there. Cause I'm afraid of succeeding. Yeah. And she was just finally, she just flew to Albany. We packed up my shit and then I drove my car across country and uh, kind of happened there. That was just a crazy ride. And then even then, even going through that process of being a fighter, like hindsight now, looking back at it, I just realized how many things I let affect my journey. 
And as far as not being focused and making things about me, and then this is like a whole another, you know, recognizing your environment. Like I was around a lot of people who were just very concerned about themselves. Mm-hmm. And coming from a family that's like pretty selfless, even to the point where it's like not healthy. Yeah. I didn't realize how much I let myself get taken advantage of in that sense. Like everything was, everything I did or like hard work I would put in, like essentially it was always for somebody else. I realize now like making things about me and solely about me is like a foreign thing to me at that point in my life. So I lost two fights, two pretty big fights. The world kind of came crashing down as far as the internet. And so this was your transition, not to interrupt you. So no, this was your, this was your transition. When you came, went from New York over to California, this was when you started your transition from jujitsu into fighting, into MMA. Yeah. Correct? Well, I had a couple amateur fights in New York before I moved uh-huh. and um, I was already transitioning into MMA in New York. Yeah. I won a couple fights, a couple small fights. They weren't even really that impressive. It was just because everybody was so excited. They were just excited. I don't know. Because they weren't that impressive to you because you're so critical of yourself. Yeah. Like, I just don't see anything, like, fancy about any of them. Right. And so, like, when I moved, my next handful of fights, like, they were good. There were, like, some cool small moments, but... They weren't like looking back at them now. I'm like, man, like I wasn't shit. Like I wasn't, I wasn't shit. Like I really feel like the true telling was like when I turned pro and then I won my first pro fight, but then my next two fights, I lost like horribly. And that's honestly where, like, I'm not, I don't know, like, that's not like where my career Losing those fights was probably like the best thing to happen to me. Mm. And I would lose them like a million times again. Like, I don't ever want to change those moments. Mm-hmm. Do I want to go back eventually and like rematch those girls? Absolutely. Because like, <laughs> I have a new perspective on life. But like, the fear I had, like looking back in those, it couldn't have been more perfect. Because mm-hmm. that was like when I was like neglecting the fact that like all of my surroundings were not for me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to swallow the responsibility of being like, hey, all you motherfuckers are fired. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I am my own fucking boss right now. But yeah. being, you know, 25, you can't handle that kind of responsibility, especially mm-hmm. like when you have my family of origin. It's like, look back, looking back at it now, it's like, you know, it's easier for me to fire friends. It's easier for me to like, not like if my friends don't meet me in the middle or my friends don't meet me in the middle, like then they just, they're not a part of my life. And it's not like, that doesn't mean that like they're forever not a part of my life. They're just choosing not to be a part of my life. And that just is what it is. It's more time for myself. And then I can, you know, relate and become friends with people who genuinely just like, want to meet in the middle with you. Like, I didn't realize like how hard that was. Yeah. Like I lost those two fights. And once I, I didn't realize I was neglecting, this is how bad it was. I was neglecting like a crazy, like neck injury, which for me was like pretty nuts because uh, I had two herniated discs in my neck and like my whole left arm was just numb. Oh my God. Totally numb. 
atrophied from my pinky into my forearm and into my elbow. And, uh, and you were just fighting like that. Yeah. I was just training like that on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. I was really lucky because we had like a really good massage therapist and she, she healed me through a lot of it, but I just needed to actively heal it and I never did. And then it just kind of bit me in the ass. And, uh, after I lost my fights, I took some time to like heal it. And then I just knew I wasn't right. Like I had a lot of excitement around me for people who wanted me to go right back into fighting, but I knew I just, something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And when something isn't right, you're not, you can't like believe the hype around you. So I couldn't do it. Like my coach started, we started talking about doing like little mini jujitsu tournaments. And I was like, hell yeah, we can do that. Did like little tiny tournaments and stuff. And uh, I had met my husband at the time while I was going through all that transition. And he was actually there when I lost my second fight. And that was just a crazy moment because we went to the hotel room and then every, I was just so annoyed because everybody who was in our room that was partying, like, it's like, it was like the new year and like, they were so happy and like, everything was so good for them and da, 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 da. And I'm just like, I can't be a part of this right now. Yeah. Like, I just remember myself like trying to escape the party so many times. And I finally just like escaped into the bathroom and he followed me in there and like, we talked, I just sat on the floor in the bathroom and just like talked mm-hmm. forever. And yeah, that was like a pretty big moment. Yeah. After that, I just kind of took time and just did my own thing. Smoked a lot of weed. (laughs) Like I'm not, I'm not like a big drinker. I don't do pills. I don't, weed was like in California, like it was just, it helped me for a little bit, but then I abused, I started to abuse it a little bit more and I wasn't actually healing from anything. I wasn't actually diving deep and you know, asking myself the hard questions because I guess I wasn't responsible emotionally enough. I don't know. It's easier just to numb yeah, than it is to feel and become aware of what's going on and ask the hard yeah. questions and figure out why am I actually doing these things? It's That's harder than yeah. just continuing. Like, even though you feel like shit and you're like, this isn't the, the way that I want to live, it's harder to take that step to try to move forward. Yeah. So you're in California now, you've made this transition, you were fighting, you lost two fights, you were, how did you feel like you you have perspective now that, you know, it was what needed to happen, but in that moment after you lost, how did you feel? Just ashamed. Mm. Yeah. I, it's like two complete opposite spectrums. Like you either like can't even, you it's like the a shame that like you can't even be in your skin in that moment. Mm-hmm. You just want to like crawl out of your skin and just like fly away. And I wish I just for a second, for a split second, just like took a moment to be like, this is who you are right now. Mm. And it's okay. Because mm-hmm. like I had nobody telling me that like it's going to be okay. I just had a lot of people around me who were afraid of how my loss was going to make them look. Yeah. So it was wow. all about them. It wasn't yeah. like nobody, nobody was really like checking in on you. Yeah. So obviously like the thing that keeps coming up, like as you're telling your story is 
you are like, for lack of a better word, you are a fighter. Like that's what you've been. And that's kind of like, you've been so resilient through all of this because it's like, okay, like I have all these things against me, but I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I mean, that's pretty powerful because there's a lot of moments in any of this that you've said that you could have quit, that you could have just like, even in your rage period, even when you were like, you know, smoking weed and partying and doing this stuff, like you still trained and you still like, there was some part inside of you that was like, okay, I know that like, I meant for something more. I meant for something bigger. Did you, did you feel that? Did you ever recognize that in yourself? I would have like a 10 minute window of like warming up to train where like the endorphins and like everything is kind of flowing. I'm like, hell yeah, this is what I'm doing. This I'm going to be about this. Like, yeah. I'm the shit. I don't even <laughs> care if I'm going to get fucked up. I'm cool. <laughs> da, 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 da. But like, you know, that was short lived. And then you started getting humbled, but not for like a, an elongated period. And like, I don't want to say that I needed people in my life to like remind me that I was a shit. Looking back, I feel like that's what I needed. That's what I thought I needed. But I never... I wish I like looked at myself in the mirror more and was like, you fucking are the shit. Yeah. The like, I think the time that I actually started doing that was like right after I had Troy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That journey into motherhood. So before we go, before we jump to that, cause I want to talk about that. Yeah. Cause I know that was a big transition for you. When you were fighting and you're in this spotlight so you were a part of a group called the Four Horse Women, correct? Yes. And so this was you and Rhonda. Mm-hmm. And who were the other two girls? Uh, Rhonda, Shayna Baszler, and Jessamyn Duke. Okay. And so this was you guys all fought together? Yeah. Well, uh, so while I was in California, we did – Rhonda did the the Ultimate Fighter it's like a, a fighter's show, like a yeah. reality show. Uh-huh. And um, we just bonded with these girls. And then after the show was over, you know, we were just kind of hanging out in our living room. And I was just like, she looked at me and I looked at her and she's like, Marina, I've been texting like Jessamine and Shayna a lot. Like, what would you say if we like stole them? Because we were living in like a five bedroom house in Venice and it was like empty. It was just the two of us and a dog and monkey, my cat. And like, it was just an empty house. And she's like, what if we just like stole them and we could all live? I was like, uh, yeah, like, yeah, we need more friends. Yeah. Did you want, <laughs> were you excited about that? Because you, you know, I know that like you and you and Rhonda have been friends for a long period of time. Yeah. Right. And so I'm sure obviously during all the tough times, she was a good bit of support for you or at least somebody that kind of, do you feel like she at least understood kind of parts yeah. of what you were going through? She did. And then like, she didn't because she was in a different part of her career. Yeah. And, um, Rhonda just like steamrolls through stuff, but she's steamroll. She's so good at steamrolling through stuff because like, she's got like crazy good hyper focus and she's, Mm -hmm. you know, her mom helped her learn how to like use that hyper focus and like propel her, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas for me, like she was always a great source of like positive energy and reinforcement and yeah. stuff. With me, I realized like I had terrible ADHD and never really learned how to use it in a great way. 
Right. Like, like how to manage it in a way that's helpful. To yeah. You. Like I used to be like, a, we watched the, uh, my husband and I watched this thing on this one fighter yesterday and like was something that I just admired about it so much. Like he was so hyperactive. He was such a hyperactive kid. And then as an adult, one day he'll want to go waterboarding and the next day he'll want to go like, I don't know, play something else. And like, he's got like a ranch and uh, where he brings people in to fight. And like, his name is Cowboy Cerrone. And he's just somebody who's just taken advantage of his characteristics and just created like a healthy environment to get his stuff out. Like, yeah. Like where he could thrive rather than trying to like suppress it or be something different. Yeah. And I, I understand like, I'm, I'm looking at it from like a viewer, but, and he's a dad, like him and his wife just had a, a baby boy and he's like a year old. And like, it's so cool to see him still do all the things, but still be a dad. And like, Mm -hmm. it's possible, you know, you just have to like get your resources together Mm -hmm. and like really be honest about who you are and what you want to achieve and what you want to do. And that's all great for me. I'm still like figuring that out. Yeah. Getting into like a new career has been I don't want to say hurtful for me, like actually way more revealing. Like I've gotten to know myself a lot more, but the girls and I got together and we lived together for a bit. And then crazy story about when I found out I was pregnant, I was just like kind of getting back into the to competing. And I just wanted to do like a year of just competing jujitsu tournaments. And like Roddy and I would talk about it on the phone. We would just be like, I just need to learn how to lose. Like, I remember having those conversations with him. So just, Roddy is Roderick Strong. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Which I'm is, assuming. <laughs> Roderick <laughs> Strong is my husband. <laughs> which is NXT superstar Roderick Strong, yeah. which is Chris, which is your husband, which is Eric calls him his best friend. Yes. So that's to, to bring it full circle. Yeah. That's how we've become friends. Yes. So yeah, so you met Chris and continue on with your story. Yeah, like Chris and I would talk about it. Oh, he's going to hate that I use his real name. Oh, um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Chris. Um, he, you know, we would talk about just being able to learn how to lose. And like, I remember that conversation being so hard for me. And there were a couple times where like I would shut him out because I just didn't want to hear it. And then I was like, you know, we're not, we're, we're doing long distance. Like I could shut him out. But I didn't realize like it wasn't healthy for me to shut out a conversation like that. There's an issue with not being able to have that conversation. Yeah. Like that's an issue. Right. Because. Like, but you were taught by your parents not to communicate. So yeah. it's like, okay, this is uncomfortable for me. So I'm just going to not feel it. Like, yes. Bye. Yes. A wall. Exactly. <laughs> so that was our own little journey. But um, I was getting ready for this one jujitsu tournament. And I had to cut 12 pounds of weight and, um, totally healthy, totally healthy. But like, for me, I'm like, oh yeah, 12 pounds. That's so easy. Like I have four days to cut 12 pounds. This is nothing. No problem. problem. So like, usually when I cut weight, like the first thing to go are my boot, like Mm -hmm. the first thing to go. Cause that's where, that's where I hold a lot of my water. They just fucking flat surface. (laughs) I'm cutting weight and the, the pounds are dropping, but my boobs are like, Boom. And I'm like, I'm not mad about this. They're a little <laughs> tender, but I'm totally fine. Probably yeah. my period. I remember I like hit the weight. I went to the grappling tournament. I weighed in 
I just felt a little weird. I won my first match. And then the second match, I, uh, I got heel hooked, like really nasty. Like she popped my, I'm still dealing with it. Like she popped my ankle pretty good. And I'm, I'm happy she did because everybody was, there's like such a stigma for me at the time for me to like compete. Everybody's like, Oh, Marina Shafir is in this, in this tournament. And because I'm associated with Rhonda, like there's this fear Mm. and it's like, I don't, I never really addressed that. I never had anybody like talk about it, but I thought it was so hilarious. Cause like her and I are just two different entities. Mm-hmm. We just have, yeah. we just talk similarly with our hands. And like, we have like things that we say that are similar, but like we're just two different entities. And it's like, but people grouped you guys together because of the four horse women. Yeah. So it was like, if you went on and did something else, it was like, why is she doing that? What's yeah. happening? Like, yeah. are they not friends anymore? Exactly. Like, <laughs> it was crazy like, how that happens. Yeah. Guilty by association to the max. But um, yeah, I went and I lost my second one. I was just like, after the thing, I was just like, oh man, like I'm just not feeling good. Like I went home and um, my ankle was really jacked up and I was icing it. And uh, I had a trip planned to go home like that by the end of that week. And I went home and I'm like, oh, just like nauseous the whole time. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is like crazy. Right before, so I would always do these trips where I would go home, and then before I would go home, I would fly down to Florida to see Chris, to see Chris mm-hmm. and then fly back to California. So right before I flew down to Florida, like literally the night, like it was, this was like eight hours before my flight. I'm just like nauseous. I'm like laying on the couch in our li- like living room, and I'm drinking Pellegrino water because bubbles were the only thing that I wanted. I'm just like so sick. And it's like in the middle of summer because, and my mom doesn't turn on the air conditioning. It's just like hot. Oh my God. And like out of, out of like a dead rest, I go, I think I might be pregnant. Oh, you're like, oh, oh fuck. I think I might be like, I like started hyperventilating. And then like the nausea immediately went away because I was like, I need to get a test. (laughs) Now I drove to three different CVSs. The first two didn't have them. What? No pregnancy test? No pregnancy test. CBS, get your shit together. I know. So like, <laughs> so then I go, I went to like this uh, grocery store that was open late and I went and got like three boxes and lo and behold, I'm like fucking pregnant and I took the test. Like I peed into a cup to have the cup to like test every single one <laughs> to make sure I wasn't eight like, different tests. Yes. And like, uh, I go every single one just started popping up positive And I was just like terrified. My mom was laughing because she was just like, she didn't want me to keep fighting. She just wanted me to figure She's out. She's like, life. yes. Yeah. She just wanted <laughs> me to, yeah. She just wanted me to figure out my life, go on with it. I flew down to California or flew down to California, I flew down to Florida the next day. I had all the pregnancy tests like in a little Ziploc bag. And I just text Chris and I go, I got a surprise for you. Like when you pick me up and he's thinking like, cause the last time I came down, I like brought him cologne and like, I would try to bring him like something nice. He's like, Oh, that's so sweet. Da, 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 yeah. da. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> just wait for, just this one. wait for this one. <laughs> and mind you, he's going through a transition in his life and in his career. So he picks me up and I'm like, I walk out to the terminal in Tampa and like, he's there to greet me. And I'm, I can't even like smile. Like I was just ready to cry. Yeah. And like, he gave me a hug. He's like, what's the matter? I'm like, 
close your eyes and open your hands. That's like the thing I do with him. Like when I'm about to give him something, he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, just close your eyes and open your hands. And he did it. And I put the little Ziploc baggie on his hands. And he's just like, he's like, can I open them now? And I'm like, yep. He looks down and then he looks back at me and then he looks down again. He goes, is this real? (laughs) Are Are you fucking with me? And I'm like, I'm crying. I'm like, yeah, this is real. And then like, he just gave me like the biggest hug. And like, first there was like the endorphins and like the happiness of it all. And then like, we got home and we're like, oh fuck. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> like terrified. Like he's in the transition of companies and like, he's not making a lot of money. I work part-time at this coffee shop where I make like $8 an hour you know, just to like get food money in and, you know, some sponsorship money would come through and others. I was making literally like 20 grand a year living off of that. Everything else fucking was sponsorships and help. Everybody thought I was living this like lavish lifestyle. And I was like, no, I'm driving my 2007 Honda mm-hmm. Civic. You're like, I'm not paying for shit. Like, like yeah. yeah, like I have no fucking bills other than my car insurance and my cell phone and that's it. Like, but a parking ticket and getting my car towed would fucking break me right now. Yeah. And like, you know, that's where I was like so grateful for my friends. But at the same time, I should have had the balls to like step away and be like, I just need to fail without you guys, you know? And like, but you're in the safety bubble and the safety bubble is nice and cushiony. And like, I didn't have any comfort. That was like my only comfort. Yeah. Yeah. So nobody wants to, nobody like wants to move into the discomfort zone. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Until you're like, well, I guess I have to because there's a human inside of me. Exactly. <laughs> so I ended up saving like 10 grand I had in my savings account. And I was like, we, what he picked me up, we went home and then we're like, what are we going to do? And he's like, well, I don't want you leaving. And I'm like, well, I got to go home to get my shit and then come back. And yeah. like, yeah. For some reason, I was, like, stuck on not leaving my cat. I'm, like, I'm bringing my fucking cat. Like, Mon- monkey comes. Monkey comes. Like, I adopted him from his previous owner, and his previous owner treated him like shit. And, like, I had unwired all this, like, shit in him. And I'm, like, he's fucking coming with me. <laughs> so the package deal. Exactly. Yeah. That's your first son. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just a crazy week, you know? Like, there's so many emotions going on. Like, abortion was a big thought in my brain. Like I had to think about it, but every time I would start thinking about it, I would just start crying. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know why, yeah. you know, like I didn't, I couldn't really like even think anything through. And I remember we went to go work out. I just was laying on the floor in front of the fan and I couldn't even, I couldn't get up. Like, you, you know, like I just couldn't fucking get up to move. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. And Chris comes over to me and he's got his own family of origin stuff. And he just comes up to me and he was just like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I didn't know he was talking about the workout. And I was like, I don't know. I think I might want to get an abortion. And he got so mad at me and it like just turned away. And I was just like, I just looked at him and I was like, I just needed to say that out loud yeah. to see how it like fucking felt. Yeah. Like, and I just look at him like, this isn't about you. Yeah. You're not the one, like, you're fucking, you're a dude. Like, you don't fucking know. Yeah. You know, and like sharing the news of like me being pregnant was all great. But like, I had no one to talk to you about like 
the fear mm-hmm. and not being like ready for it, like my baby. Yeah. You know, and like not having the skills to provide all this time. Like while I'm like Troy's inside of me, like a lot of the, the thoughts were like, you were not like, you just weren't prepared for life. You didn't do the things that it like, let, like the opportunity of life gave you to like prepare for like the next step of life. Mm-hmm. And not, I'm not just saying like having a kid, like business wise. And like, I hustled, but I hustled like it, like a, a hamster on the wheel. I yeah. hustled with the things that like I knew were comfortable, like working a job and then, you know, training three hours and then driving an hour and a half just to go stand at a coffee shop for another eight hours. Like that's the hustle that I knew. I didn't know like, Hey, let's put this energy into something new. And I still don't know that. And like, I still have a really hard time with that because like, it's just building that confidence within yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. but like all of my pregnancy, a lot of it was doubt and fear and like, I call it like a pity party for a little bit. I mean, like I was all like all jacked up on hormones and pregnancy brain and dude, it was crazy. Like I just, I don't know. I just was, I wish instead of like feeling is like getting stuck in my feelings. I had more gusto to just do. And the one thing I'm so fucking grateful for was throughout my pregnancy, I found BirthFit. Chris's CrossFit coach, Wes, his wife, Brooke, found BirthFit and it just changed, it like changed my, my perspective on stuff. So you were able to train throughout your pregnancy yeah. and having that kind of kept you going. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I went, I went to go box like one time, I think I was like three or four months pregnant and I just, the intensity level went from zero to a hundred and I just, I couldn't, I was like, I'm not doing this again. Yeah. It scared me. Like I just, yeah. I was like, this is too intense and I don't know what my baby can handle. So I'm not even gonna do it. Right. I couldn't even do it like yeah. soft. I think there's so much regardless of like how you get pregnant, what your situation is, any of that. I think there's so much fear, like with both of the kids, there was there was fear with both of them. You know what I mean? You could be in the greatest situation, but I still think for me, like when I talk to clients or people that have fears that around parenting, for me, I look at that as like, that's because you care about being a good parent. Yeah. And for you, because you like at this point in your life, especially like going to therapy and taking the time for yourself to unravel this stuff, Do you feel like that Troy was a big inspiration for you to do that? Like you were like, okay, like I am in charge of another human's life. And so this is my time to like get it together so I can be better. Yeah. That was definitely a part of it. But at the same time, this is going to sound crazy. This like the first time in my life where I like really embraced kind of being selfish. Mm. I didn't feel bad about decision like I didn't I didn't feel like I had to explain myself to anyone but my husband because he's my husband he's the father of my son right but other than that like if my quote-unquote friends really understood who I was they would understand that they don't understand (laughs) you know and like they would either try to Mm -hmm. and if they don't then they're not a part of my life right and like it was that effort like you know like 
So I just took it upon myself to just be selfish. And sometimes it wasn't good. And then other times it's a trial and error process, you know, but like staying in that hamster wheel of emotion has been like really hard because I find myself on it and like retraining all the triggers and those habits is like really fucking hard to be on top of. It's constant effort. And like, if I'm consciously thinking of like decision-making and my life with Troy and like my training schedule and then like my relationship with my husband, I have to put in energy for myself. And if I don't, like the rest of it just is half assery and we're learning how to be present in our lives. Like, Mm -hmm. like we live a really good life. We've got, like, I just feel like my life keeps giving me these opportunities to succeed from past experiences. I've learned that like, I'm way too much in my own way. And it's kind of like, just fucking turn it off and just show up. Yeah. I know I can show up, but it's like, what is the intent? Like, what is the next, like, what are you trying to do with this? Like, you can't waste time. Yeah. So still being aware of like picking your spots and where is this going? Like, but there's something about, we actually talked about this on our interview with Tanya was like, there's something to be said for being allowed to explore. And I think that that's like, when people talk about finding their passions and they don't know, like we don't know until sometimes we're already in it. And so we don't know what can stem into what. Mm -hmm. And it's like, even with Eric wrestling right now, like when he goes to training, he gets to work with some of the younger kids in coaching. And I'm like, well, maybe like that's something that you need to continue to do when you're done wrestling. Like people are so concerned with getting to that end point, but I really believe that there's not supposed to be an end point. Mm -hmm. I think we're supposed to keep exploring and keep learning and keep growing. Like, I think it's powerful that you recognize so many times how you blocked yourself, like whether it was fear or or whatever was underlying. And so now it's like, you see these opportunities and you're presented with these things and you're like, fuck it. I might as well try. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the thing is with this job, you know, Getting hired to be an NXT superstar has been like the biggest reward yet slash like mind fuck because it's not just me doing it. It's me and my husband doing it. I am partaking in a career my husband's been doing for almost three decades Mm -hmm. and we're both spending time away from our son. So just really grabbing that by the fucking balls and going after it has been hard because there are still times of late, like you're just exhausted and there's still times of laziness. And I'm, I didn't realize like how much postpartum I was dealing with. Like in the first, uh, the first two years of, of Troy, like a goal of mine was just being aware of like how I was emotionally. I didn't realize how much postpartum affects your decision making and like reverts you back to like really bad emotional habits. Cause you just want that safety net. And like this job, like you got to know yourself in order to be good at this job, right? You just have to, and you have to be honest about who you are. It's just like the pimple just rose to the top and you just got to fucking pop it. And like, that's kind of like the fear of always traveling and the fear of being away from your son. Like you can be sad about it. And then you just wake up one day and you're just kind of like, I have to be away from my son for the whole fucking day. So we're going to fucking make it worth it. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm going to be on TV. It doesn't matter if I'm not wrestling. It doesn't matter. Like I'm going to make it as worth it as fucking possible. 
to where you get some sort of fulfillment about it, to where it's not about that end point, to where it's about the, in this moment, taking whatever you can. Yeah, exactly. Being as present as possible and just still learning and Mm. pro wrestling has just evolved so much that there's like new, there's like, there's just new things about it. Mm -hmm. There's like things have died off and now things, there are new things that are kind of like gearing into motion. And for example, like talent and what they have to offer and like what all these other wrestlers are capable of doing. And like, it's just different. It's not just go in there and handle business, especially with the women, with the women. It's just guys are so lucky. They are so, they could be balding and they could be like, they could be losing their hair and going through like a midlife crisis. But if they have the look and they have like the skill, a character character and they have a skill, they are, it is more likely for them to have time than the girls. And the girls just have to show up and show out every time because we don't have that much time. Yeah. And that's just how it is. But you know, like when you're in a locker, like when you're in a locker room full of women who are ready for that challenge, oh, instead of like, we only get five minutes, it's like, you make the best. Hell yeah. We got five fucking minutes. We're going to fucking, it's mindset, you know? And like, I can't, that's something in the job that like, I've been just kind of turning my back to that like negative perspective and like there, yes, there's always going to be shit you can complain about, but like, I have to be away from my son. So fuck you. (laughs) I got to make this worth my time. Exactly. Like I don't need to keep talking about all the things we we need to be complaining about, like consciously stepping away from those types of conversations. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge, that's a huge thing. Mindy, what were you going to say? So one thing I was going to say, is like the biggest theme I'm hearing here, like when we're chatting is choosing yourself, right? It's so hard to learn how to choose yourself and to continue to choose yourself over and over again. So if you were to give one piece of advice to everybody on how to do that, what is the biggest thing you would say in choosing yourself that's kind of helped you do that? Mm, If you're going through a transition in your life, and you need to make a decision. I feel like the one thing I should have done way more often was to take a walk and take my emotions out of it. Like take a break. Yeah. Just like take a break. And before pregnancy and all this stuff, like I would walk on the Venice boardwalk and just like walk and just people watch and be like, just by the way that person looks, how do I think that person could handle or would handle my situation? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And like, you know, and then kind of getting silly with it. Like that bum laying there with the, you know, I need some weed card is not necessarily going to handle my situation very well, you know, but like just the act of just like laughing about it. Like, so I took a personality test and my number one personality trait was humor. Now there's like a light side of humor and then there's like a shade side of humor. And like, you can like, sometimes my humor has terrible timing, like really bad timing. And then sometimes I just fucking hit the nail on the head and just kill it. But I apply my humor a lot to stuff. And that's the one time that like I need it the most is if a situation is so fucking serious, there has to be a point where you got to like, Think of something of it being like somewhat silly. 
Yeah. In order to like keep, and so you're not stuck in that like, oh fuck, or like the, oh, like this is crazy moment. Like you just kind of, you got to laugh about it and then like kind of take the next steps. Yeah. I love that. Cause it makes you, you can change your perspective that way. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. Like, fuck, I'm pregnant. I have like a shitty job. I don't have any idea. And then you're like, well, we could just be broken up and like make a joke about it. And then you're like, okay, like I can do this. Like a little bit of a release almost. And it's kind of like going back to like the gratitude thing. Like you realize how you kind of pull gratitude back in and like you need to at that time, Mm -hmm. like to like really focus on what's important and, you know, doing what you just need to do. When I was pregnant, I got a job in Tampa working at a coffee shop and I was working 40 hours a week up until I was like 39 weeks pregnant. And my boss literally had to push me like the fuck out the door. Like he was just like, you can't work. But I felt like such a fucking failure. Mm-hmm. You know, like the least I could do is be on my feet or like pull up a fucking bar stool and just bring people out. Like I just didn't have anything going for myself other than incubating a baby, which is fucking huge. Yeah. And having yeah. like a fucking still training through it and still going through it. And like, but you didn't see all of that in that moment. You were so used to beating yourself up. And it sounds like to me that there was a lot of, probably from your childhood, there was a lot of like, go, 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 like you were saying in the story. And it's not surprising because like we can distract ourselves so easily by not stopping. Like if we just go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing and we don't stop and take that time to like, where am I? Where am I going? You don't have any sort of like reflection. It's so easy. Like that's, that's what I did beyond, beyond the numbing of, of everything that I did with drugs and alcohol, there was that part of like, well, if I stop, then I'm going to have to look at myself. Mm -hmm. And that's not something I'm ready to do. Yep. And so I definitely feel you on that. So let me ask you this. If you could go back to that younger version of yourself and tell yourself something or, or what do you, what do you feel like you needed most then? As a kid, like how young we're going to kid whenever, whenever. Okay. Well, I think about this all the time and I think I wish I had honesty Mm. from my parents about like, instead of trying to hide stuff from me, I wanted them to be honest with me about like what we were going through as a family. I wanted more honesty from my brothers. I wanted more honesty from just like my parents and being able to feel stuff. Like I wish that when I got the wind knocked out of me when I was like eight and just stayed crying on the mat, I wish my dad didn't wait until practice was over to come get me. I wish he would have come up to me right then and just told me it was going to be okay. Yeah. That, that communication piece and that honesty piece is such a, a missing thing. But when we talk about perspective and your ability to be grateful how much, like thinking about that now, how much does that play into your role as a mom and how you do things? I kind of like take myself out of it now. Out of like, whenever Troy's throwing a fit, I just kind of mind my own business, Mm -hmm. but still, I'm still there. Yeah. You know, like I let him go through it. And then I always remind him that like, if he needs me or when he'll need me, I'll be right here. Or like, I'm in the garage doing laundry, just come find me. Just mm-hmm. giving him that like decision to be responsible, to like reach out. Because then he'll come up to me and be like, mommy, I want a hug. And I'm like, okay, oh. like, 
let's do it. Yeah. I'm down, you know? And like that comfort of like, yeah, he acts out and he's crazy and he's a toddler and he throws his, he's almost three. So like they're complete assholes. They're complete. He's a little <laughs> dick, but God damn it. At night, like when we're reading him a book and he's just kissing me over and over again on the face and just like telling me that he loves me. And like, and during the day, like when I make him lunch and he just looks up to me and he's like, this is so good. Thank you, mommy. I'm like, oh, you're like, I'm doing Someone's something right. I know somebody <laughs> catch me, you know, yeah. like that's the shit that like is fucking cool. and. It reminds me to like some things to keep going with and then other things like I still have a really hard time with like accountability because I hate I don't ever want to make people upset with me or ashamed of me. So with my husband, like with this job, it's a little bit hard because we call it constructive criticism, but he's been doing this shit for so long. There's some things that he just doesn't have patience for and my stubbornness, like, I'm just kind of like, well, I don't want to learn from you right now. Yeah. I do, but I don't because you're not giving me the things that like I need to hang on to, to learn. We just have two completely different backgrounds. It's a learning thing. And like, we've, we're getting there. We're slowly getting there. And then like, he calls me out for the times I'm like lazy and not doing like the work and I still get lazy and I still don't do the work. It's kind of like the guilty by association thing. Everybody in the wrestling community associates me first with him mm-hmm. and then with the girls. Mm-hmm. And as honored as I am, I, you know, like I still have a lot to fucking learn. And what that's teaching me is I just need to have the pride in the shit that I already know. And yeah. not be rem- yeah. like when it's time to show up to just fucking own everything that I do know, trust my instincts and kind of like let it go. That's still a learning process. Every day we're getting, we're getting better at it. Working, working with your husband on a daily basis and traveling and being in crazy situations and just, uh, he, this is an environment he's used to. Right. He's part of, he's also part of that wave of like change and pro wrestling right now. So, you know, he's just like super highly stimulated and he's, his attention is all over the place and he notices things that I don't notice. And, but you guys make each other better in that way. Yes. There's like little things that I notice that he doesn't notice. And like, that's kind of how we're learning how to be the yin and yang yeah. for each other. Yeah. And that is hard work. Yeah. I, we've talked a little bit about that. You can't but, just be anymore. Like, you yeah. have like, and right. there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure because it's like, yes, it's an, it's an honorable thing to be like, have these relationships with these people that are like in the spotlight and well-known and all those things, but it's also a lot of pressure on you because you can easily lose sight. Like you said, of all this stuff, like I do know all this stuff and I am really good at this because you're like, oh, I have to be all these other things because of these other people. Yeah. So what's funny is like, I feel like sometimes this is like, this is my opportunity in life to, I don't want to say right the wrong of the past. I don't want to compare them like that, but Chris was so, he did this for almost three decades and he was so selfish and he was in an all good ways. Like he needs to be successful. Mm -hmm. So when you want to be successful, you have to be selfish, especially in this business. You have to make time for things and you have to, so it's kind of like reliving my situation in California, but now it's like not, you know, like I have to really put my foot down and be selfish with some things that he may not understand, but 
if I know that's what I need, Mm -hmm. then our relationship grows. Yeah. And you also know that not communicating doesn't work. Yes. Like that was one of the things like just something small as like just getting on the mat one to two times a week, just flowing and grappling and like going back to my roots is something that I need to do because I need to use my ADHD. Like that's why I, that's like why I kind of propelled so fast in jujitsu was like, and then this thing fits in this thing and then this thing fits in this thing. And then that goes there. And like, I just, I can get it all out. Right. And then like come home and just be like, all right, what's for dinner? (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, like what's for the week. And then like, it's easier to game plan and like, it's easier like we've been trying to like every night before we go to bed, we try to talk about the next day or even that, like I try to start it even earlier. Like before I even start making dinner, like, Hey, let's start thinking about what we're going to be doing tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Cause like we can't wake up in the day and like not have a plan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's life in general. So, okay. It's kind of starting to wrap up here. Um, like definitely something that's reoccurring with you is like I said, resilience and overcoming a lot of things. And like I said, putting one foot in front of the other. So we like to give our audience something like some sort of tool that they can take with them. So if you put yourself back into any of those situations or, you know, multiple that you can think of as much as you want to put together, what do you think is one tool you already mentioned, like taking a break and using that, using your humor to see things differently, which I love. But what's another tool that you think that people can use when they're in those situations to where it's like, I don't know where I'm going or what I'm going to do. What do you think somebody could do there? Well, whatever intent you had for that day, you show up Mm. and really trust whether you're meant to be there or you're meant to do something else. And if you're meant to go do something else, having the confidence within yourself to actually make it happen to see if that's what you want to do. Yeah. Like if it's as small as like, I don't know, sometimes like self care would help me, but then sometimes I would show up and like, this doesn't make me feel any different. Yeah. This doesn't make me feel any different. I feel like I don't deserve this. Like, Maybe I need to do a different type of self-care. Like now I'm trying to like garden more, whether it's even just pot one goddamn, repot one plant. Yeah. Like <laughs> then that, that kind of does it for me. Right. Or yard work or I don't know. I'll go out and buy my cat like really expensive cat food because I can now. This <laughs> <laughs> is like something to like. Lucky monkey. I know. Monkey. Yeah, lucky monkey. Really trusting like whether you want to be there or not and not feel like you have to do what you're doing. It's, you have a choice. I love always have a choice. And like, that's something I wish I was told over and over again as a kid. Cause that's where I lack a lot of my confidence is like in my decision-making. And that guy just kind of like, that's a whole other conversation where it just like stems through your whole life. And yeah, I like knowing, like just knowing you always have a choice, I think is really powerful. And knowing that like you can explore things and to trust yourself. So Can you tell us, because I know that obviously you have such a cool story from everything that you've been through. So can you tell our audience where they can find you, where they can follow you on social media, all of that kind of stuff? Yeah. At Marina Shafir everywhere, pretty much on Instagram and Twitter, M-A-R-I-N-A-S-H-A-F-I-R. 
And you're just going to get a lot of really cute pictures of my family and some ass kickery and just humor. I'm kind of like waiting to post more like sappy stuff because like, I don't know. I'm just, I feel like I was too open with that kind of stuff. And then it just didn't feel, I felt forced. So you're just gonna get all the good stuff because that's what I want to spread. Yeah, I understand that. It it can be, it can be hard. And especially with your audience, like opening up like that can be scary because you're always going to get some backlash and and stuff like that. But people can also watch you on TV. I know every Wednesday, every Wednesday on USA Network, we (laughs) have a lot of fun. We just kind of crash a lot of parties, make people mad. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Mindy, do you have any questions? No, I, you know, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today, Marina. It was such a pleasure getting to know you and hearing about your story and learning more. I think that everything that you've been through is so relatable. And it's funny, the whole time I was thinking, you know, people see what they want to see on the internet, right? They see like, you've got this incredible life, you've got this incredible husband and son and career, and you've built all of this for yourself. But that doesn't mean that you don't struggle just like everybody else. So thank you so much for opening up and telling us all about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, obviously, I want to say thank you, too, Um, for being here. So for those of you listening, Marina is actually standing next to me. (laughs) Uh, So we didn't have to do this long distance, which is really cool. But I know that it's kind of scary to talk about stuff like that and be vulnerable. So I appreciate you sharing. And I'm sure that, like Mindy said, people relate to that stuff. So it's nice to hear people find comfort in listening to a story like yours and knowing like, okay, this is where she is, but this is where she came from. So thank you for sharing. Anytime. Thank you. And so Mindy, um, what are we talking about our next episode? Oh, I'm so excited for our next episode because we're talking about boundaries and how to set boundaries and how to communicate your boundaries. It's going to be really good. I think it's something that a lot of people really struggle with. So next week, be ready. Awesome. So make sure that you subscribe, give us a rating and a review. If you love us, please follow us on social media as well. You can go to Instagram and we are the Bravehearted Podcast. You can also go to the Braveheartedpodcast.com and please send us questions or anything that you have or want to hear on the show. Thank you for listening and don't forget to live brave. If you are a CEO or entrepreneur, I want to invite you into a space that's unlike anything out there. CEO Power Hour is a free monthly live experience that you can join in person or virtually to get your questions answered to fulfill the desires for your business. Inside this room, you bring your biggest goal, the obstacles you are experiencing, or anything you want my expertise, eyes, and ears on. This guidance, along with the ideas and inspiration from other powerful women, allows you to be fully immersed in the energy of being supported and learn in a completely new way so that you can expand your business and your life to the next level. I created CEO Power Hour to bring together powerful business owners for connection, collaboration, and coaching. This is your invitation, and it's free. 
The link is in the show notes. So I hope to see you at our next monthly meeting.